So when I was growing up, there was a phone number that I would dial whenever I was bored, just to have someone to call. At least once a week, I'd grab the handset off the wall and punch in the 10-digit number. And that phone number would tell you the exact time, 24-7. At the tone, Eastern Daylight Time, one hour, 36 minutes, 30 seconds. Universal Time, five hours, 36 minutes, 35 seconds. Personally, I think I just like punching in the buttons and pretending I had a call to make. But this was before smartphones, before all of our digital timepieces automatically synced up. So sometimes the clock in the kitchen read five minutes slower than your bedroom alarm clock, and it could be hard to figure out what was the accurate time. So how do we determine the time? Well, there's an official clock, and it's located in Boulder, Colorado, at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. I'm Alexa Lim, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Join me as we visit the official timekeepers. Now, if you want to create a super accurate clock, you need to have a really precise measurement of time. And that standard unit is the second. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, is a government agency that sets the standard for measurements that we all go by. NIST calibrates all sorts of things on its 200-acre campus. We pass by labs with cryogenic stations measuring voltage, and scientists using tiny sensors that determine temperature with light. There's a person who manages a million pound dead weight, literally is a million pounds hanging from a pulley, and it's used, for example, to calibrate the force that a rocket engine can produce. That's Jeff Sherman. He's a physicist at NIST, and he works in the time division. I'm the one government employee that actually is paid to sit around and watch the clock. Today, Jeff is taking us into the Time Realization and Distribution Lab. Now, the idea of measuring time sounds almost fantastical. Like you can't exactly bottle it up or weigh out a second. We've realized there's nowhere you can look where the universe or some aspect of nature will tell you the time sufficiently, precisely, stably, or universally. The thing that is most ephemeral, that once we measure it, vanishes immediately. You can't put in a bell jar in Paris like the the old kilogram. Humans have, of course, been keeping track of time in all sorts of ways, looking to the orbit of the Earth and reading the shadow cast by the sun, using weighted pendulums to move the hands around the face of a clock. Or, my personal favorite, the one Mississippi to Mississippi method. But there isn't a uniformity to those different timepieces. So scientists set out to change that in the last century. Back in the 1960s, the second was finally given a standard definition, an exact way to measure it. And they turned to the cesium atom. Cesium was easy to manipulate in the lab. 
I first turned to the NIST website for the exact definition. And well, it's a little complicated. It reads, one second is the time that elapses during 9,192,631,770 cycles of the radiation produced by the transition between two levels of the cesium-133 atom. So I turned to Jeff for help. So there is an official definition of a second. Can you lay it on me? What is it? It is this, that in the ground state, the lowest lying configuration of the cesium atom, which is more or less a single valence electron held loosely around the nucleus and a bunch of other electrons in cesium, uh, there's one degree of freedom and it's magnetic. There's an unpaired nuclear spin and the difference in energy between them is equivalent to a single microwave photon, a packet of light, whose electric field oscillates exactly 9,192,631,770 times per second. You could think of that as one little magnet. Jeff and his team's clock run by counting these cycles, or ticks of atoms, creating a high-level atomic clock. Now, based on this, you might be imagining something that's either really big or really small. Often people come wanting to see the clock, and the first thing we have to do is tell them they've been lied to. There isn't just one. The clock is actually a network of 21 different ones. None of them have hands or anything that you might recognize as a clock. They look more like science experiments because that's exactly what they are. There's a couple of different types of clocks. There's something called hydrogen masers. There's another group that are called fountain clocks. And these work by exciting atoms, tossing them up like a handful of baseballs, and then slowing them way down. What the clocks are reading are light waves coming off of these atoms. And scientists try to count the cycles of oscillations, those ticks, as precisely as possible. And building a machine that can do all of that isn't easy. It's a complicated beast. Inside is a, is a vacuum system with about 20 control servos for pressures, temperatures, magnetic field. There's a resonant microwave cavity around the atoms, which is being tuned all the time. There are high gain amplifiers and automatic gain control of those amplifiers and frequency mixing and disciplining of a crystal oscillator. The whole thing is a Rube Goldberg machine in a box. The equipment ages, there are parts that fail. There are parts that don't quite fail, but start acting strangely. And so these clocks develop certain personalities. Jeff and his team are fine tuning these machines all the time, and they've even given them nicknames. There's Chamber Annie, there's Chamber Bobby, there's a Chuck, there's a Donnie, there's an Elvis who has a lot of personality, you might say. Annie, Bobby, Elvis, and the rest of these atomic bean counters are getting so good that some of them are counting the second so precisely that they get it down to the 16th decimal place. The scientists link all this data together to give us what we read as the time. And you can, you can walk up to it and, and watch seconds go by as precisely as humanly possible. So why do we need all this precision? It's not like, for example, 
everyone needs to show up to their Zoom meetings with nanosecond precision. Nobody needs to know the time of day to nanosecond precision. But it turns out that the keeping of time really means the disciplining of rate and oscillators. And that turns out to be a foundation of many, many, many technologies that you do use every day. One of the most important being GPS, the Global Positioning System. There are coordinated clocks on GPS satellites triangulating our location, shooting the data back to our devices. If those clocks were off by just a nanosecond, a billionth of a second, your GPS reading would be off by one foot. And that can add up. The importance of an accurate and synchronized clock goes way beyond our wristwatch or even GPS satellites. The stock market, the power grid, all of those depend on an accurate second. And having accurate time even helps probe some of the bigger questions about the universe, like understanding gravitational waves and leftover from the Big Bang, the beginning of time itself. Gravitational waves are like the ripples you see above a hot desert, refracting and altering the light traveling uh, in the medium. And its properties can be measured this way, but only because we have better clocks on Earth the universe is the natural beat maker, and NIST is tapping into this to make precision clocks that can help us keep track of time. NIST doesn't give public tours, but it does have a phone number that you can call to coordinate your clock. So if you want to watch the seconds go by as precisely as humanly possible, dial 303-499-7111. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. Our production team includes... Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger. Chris Naka. Camille Stanley. Manolo Morales. Baudelaire. Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is... Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by... Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credits music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Alexa Lim, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.